Hello and welcome to Living Heritage, a show about people who are engaged in the heritage and culture sector, those who keep heritage alive at the community level. I'm Dale Jarvis, and today's guest is Heather Elliott. Heather Elliott has an educational background in anthropology and museum management. Her passion for maritime history inspired her to create her own blog, Original Shipster, through which she tells stories of ships and shipwrecks from across Canada. Today we'll be talking about ships, the sea, and social media. Heather, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you for coming on. I'm happy to be here. Uh, so, I guess to start off with, uh, just tell us a little bit about the blog and how the blog got started. Okay. Uh, well, first of all, I've always been interested in maritime history, uh, ever since I was old enough to read, really. And uh, when I relocated to St. John's, it just became more and more of a passion. It really helped being so close to the harbor and being able to see ships coming in and out every day. And so I decided, actually, a, a year ago today, I decided that I was going to take all these stories I'd been learning and actually start writing them down. So I decided to create a blog so I could share those stories with other people who might be interested in the same thing. So where did you grow up? I grew up in Ontario. Yeah. So. And did you grow up near the water? or? Um, not really. Uh, I grew up near Lake Ontario, but it wasn't like I could look out the window and see it every day. Or It was still a fair drive away from my house. But So how did you, what was your first kind of introduction to maritime history then? Um, I, my earliest recollection is learning about the story of the RMS Titanic, um, I think from possibly one of my grandparents or my parents, and learning the folk song, uh, They Built the Ship Titanic, and singing it on repeat, I think, for three hours in front of my <laughs> grandfather while we were out in a dinghy on the lake. I'm surprised he didn't throw me overboard. Um, but yeah, and just from there, I had a really big interest in uh, ships from the White Star Line forever, and then it's just been probably within the last five or five or six years, I've started branching out and learning about other shipping lines and different types of ships and that sort of thing. So what was your educational background then? Um, I did my Bachelor in Arts in Cultural Anthropology at Trent in Peterborough, Ontario, and then I did a postgraduate in uh, Museum Management Curatorship at Fleming College, which is also in Peterborough. And did you work any of your love of maritime history into any of that? or? Not so much, actually. That didn't really uh, resurface until I moved out to Newfoundland. Yeah. Um, and how did you come here? I moved here for an internship. At the end of my postgrad, I was uh, offered an internship position with The Rooms. And so I moved out here. I was here for a summer and fell in love with Newfoundland and moved back home for a year and then was offered a contract position back at The Rooms and didn't even have to think twice, packed up all my stuff and moved out to Newfoundland again and haven't left. Yeah. So being here in St. John's and being close to the harbor and seeing all the ships that come in and out, I know I know on your blog you, you, you mix... Uh, history with kind of contemporary shipping stuff. I try to. Um, I know when I, when I used to go down to the harbor, it was always of interest to me to see all the different types of boats that were coming in and wonder, you know, that looks different than this one. What job does that one do that this one doesn't and that kind of thing? So uh, when I created my blog, I used my blog as, as an outlet for that because I knew friends here who had similar interests. So I would research the different ships that came in and out and then post what I found online. Now you, I know you, you've written about this on your blog, that you have a passion for you know, maritime history and ships and shipwrecks, but that you also have some phobias about some of those things. Can you talk a little bit about that? I have the very, very inconvenient <laughs> phobia of being terrified of shipwrecks. That, that is an, <laughs> um, an astonishing I, thing for someone who writes about that. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's a bit of an impediment to uh, what I'm interested in, to be honest. Um, I've 
within the last couple of years, I've actively been trying to overcome it. I had uh, crippling fear of I could study them, I could read them, I could look pictures of them all day long. If you told me there was one underneath me and I was on a boat, I'd have a panic attack, um, which is, you know, super convenient. Um, it's only been in within the last couple of years, actually. The first shipwreck I went out to see was the SS Ethi on the West Coast, which isn't much of a shipwreck now. It's just bits and bobs left on the shoreline. Um, last Two years ago now, I went to see the SS Charcot, which is out in Conception Harbor and actually does look like, you know, a wreck. So that was a big moment for me to be able to stand like five feet away and not have an anxiety attack. I'm getting better, but it's <laughs> it's it's been a very inconvenient phobia to have, I have to say. Yeah, it's interesting, though. Does it, I mean, that, that uh, does it help with your phobia to write about it or? It does, yeah. uh, especially ever since I started doing the blog and I've been uh, actively researching wrecks that are closer to St. John's. Um, one of them actually is just outside the harbor, so I know I've taken a boat over it a few times now. Yeah. But that does help because, you know, it becomes more of an object of interest and less something that I am irrationally scared of. <laughs> yeah. It's interesting, you know, you t talk about the uh, the Titanic as being kind of the introduction to kind of the, that that kind of nautical history. Uh, I, I have a, I have a, particular memory of being being fairly young and having a book there was like a time life series or something on the different decades of the 20th century and i remember the one uh that had uh, some information about the titanic in it and there was a an illustration a period illustration of um the sinking of the titanic and it was an underwater painting and there was this woman in white that was drowning underneath the water and i remember being slightly terrified by that image of of uh of that that woman drowning in the titanic wreck um so shipwrecks can be very emotional things you know mm -hmm. and uh, and we we certainly live that here in newfoundland that there is a, a real human component it's not just about ships there's a, a very strong uh human stories that that come with some of these Absolutely. Yeah. Um, one of the big things, I've always been really interested in the whole culture around shipping and shipwrecks. Uh, a lot of the ships I study are actually from the late 1800s into about 1930. And it's the whole idea that for a really long time, that was the only way to get across the ocean or the only way to get inland or really one of the big things I've learned since I started writing this blog is if there's a waterway, I can guarantee you there's a wreck in it somewhere, whether it's a, you know, 400 passenger ship or a tiny gold rush vessel up in the Yukon, there's, there's something there. And it's just that whole idea that this was such an intrinsic part of transportation and intrinsic part of culture at one point, and now it's almost a niche onto itself. You don't hear, well, Newfoundland you do, but on the mainland, you don't hear of a lot of people whose family have that connection to the to the water and to the sea anymore. And that's one of the things I love looking at is I love sitting down and talking to people who that's what they still do for a living. Mm -hmm. And hearing, you know, in this day and age, why did you decide to do this? Why do you go to sea for six, seven, eight months out of the year? You know, what draws you to that? And their answers are always really, really interesting. So, so what, what have people told you? Like, why do people, why are people still drawn to that kind of life? Um, I've heard a lot of family connection. So especially uh, with the Navy, um, it's usually, you know, my dad was in the Navy or my mother was in the Navy and I was raised in that kind of a culture. I've heard everything from it's good money to it's adventure to... Um, you know, especially people with Coast Guard, you know, I wanted to get involved, but I didn't necessarily want to go with the Navy. So their answers are always very diverse, but every single person says something similar in that they felt drawn to it. Mm -hmm. It's the best explanation I had was actually given to me by an engineer on a tugboat. And he said, uh, 
it's the kind of job you either love or you hate. There's, it's not one of those things that you show up one day to work and you just begrudgingly do your nine to five and go home. You either, you know, on your first trip, you're either going to love this or you're going to hate it. And the people who love it stick with it. And the people who hate it are out mm-hmm. as soon as they get back to the jetty. Mm-hmm. So it's really interesting to kind of get that perspective. So how do you do, how do you do your research? I, first, maybe how do you select what ship or shipwreck you're going to write about? Usually I, um, I do my research or I compile a list in advance. So uh, there's a really convenient Wikipedia article that actually has all the shipwrecks or a lot of the shipwrecks from Canada listed. So I usually go through that and go through a couple of other sources I have and kind of pick out ones from different areas. So not all of them are about Newfoundland or not all of them are from Ontario. I, I try to mix it up and then I'll make a list and I'll go down week by week and kind of tick them off that way. Uh, but I try to pick, I w- I'll try not to do, you know, three steamships in a row or three paddle wheelers in a row or three battleships in a row. I try to mix it up and get a diverse sort of mix of stories because it's good for me because it broadens my horizons and I want to keep things interesting because I do have a few readers who do come back every time I post. So I want to not get stale for them either. <laughs> right. So once you identify uh, a vessel that you want to do work on, uh, what's the next step? How do you start doing the research on the history of that ship? Um, I go through a lot of my own books that I have in my personal library, see if there's any references to them there. I will jump on the internet. In this lovely modern age, there's a lot of stuff up online that you can find, so I'll compile as many different sources from there that I can and then sort of jot everything down in a master document, and then as I'm writing, I'll go through and just pull out, just to try to distill all that information into a much shorter article. Do you have some go-to authors that uh, you find you, you, you reference more? Oh, you're more? putting me on the spot, yeah. <laughs> um. <laughs> I mean, I'm thinking maybe specifically for Newfoundland, or is, is there, are there other people here who are doing kind of work that you admire? Um, Robert Parsons has a lot of really mm-hmm. interesting books on maritime history for Newfoundland, uh, J.P. Anjou yeah. uh, has done a lot of work on the White Fleet and uh, Shipwrecks in Newfoundland Labrador, so I have a few of his books as well. Um, and I can't even... I have a whole <laughs> library full, and I'll basically just scroll down and be like, I need this, 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 and then go. <laughs> so are you constantly collecting then? Uh, I Yeah, I, there's a lot of books on my bookshelf, but <laughs> my spine hasn't session, even yeah. <laughs> been cracked yet. Um, it's really funny because I'll come home with five or six more, and my boyfriend will look at me and be like, really? You haven't even read the, the five you bought last time. I'm like, I know, but these it's are research. reference. Yeah, it's exactly. in, you know, I need these, <laughs> you need obviously. Them. You always need more books. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. You, you mentioned that you have readers that come back uh, to, to the blog. So uh, who, who, who is your audience? Who, who reads your material? I've got a fairly good mix. Um, there's a, a gentleman in Halifax I know who does a very similar um, thing to what I do for Halifax Harbor um, called Halifax Shipping News. And uh, he tracks ships that come in and out of Halifax. So he comes back fairly regularly. I have a couple of readers from the West Coast who are in the marine industry. They also, I know, come back and comment and retweet. It's a lot of people who seem to either be in the industry or are actively interested in the industry. But I do have followers who are in the business field or are lawyers or journalists, stuff like that, people who are like me. I'm not actively in the, well, I guess I am now, but when I started out, I wasn't actively in the marine history field. I just kind of put myself here. And I think there's a lot of people who do read my blog who do just have an active interest and maybe 
don't have a source that can try that can pull all the different resources together and present the story in one spot. Hmm. So, are, are people surprised that you're a, a young woman with an interest in, in maritime history? You're not an you know a uh, salty old <laughs> captain. You know? um, I've had a few, a couple of people who, uh, when I say I'm interested in ships and shipwrecks, are kind of really, you, <laughs> really. <laughs> Yeah, it's not doesn't happen as frequently as you might think, but I have had a few people who've kind of quirked an eyebrow and gone, "Oh, that's that's random but interesting." Okay. Um generally once I get talking about it, they're like, "Oh, okay, you're just a nerd. That's that's fair enough. Okay, <laughs> you know what you're talking about." But yeah, I've had a couple of people who've been I think genuinely surprised. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just, it's a fascinating fascination. You know, I, we we all, I think, who are in the heritage sector, we all have our little specialties that we're we're interested in. It's it's, it's great that you've def- you've developed kind of a forum for for sharing sharing your interest. Uh, how often do you blog? I try to blog once a week. Yeah, um, it's been a little difficult in the last month or so. Just life gets in the way, and it's difficult when you have to sit down and do all the research and everything. But I do try to get a post up at least once a week. Yeah, and if I'm not posting on my blog, I do have a Twitter account as well. So I'm I try to be, if I know I'm not going to be able to get up on that week, I would try to be more active on Twitter. So it's not like I just gave up and I've fallen off the grid. So so maybe if people want to follow what you're doing. What is your what is your blog address? And what's your Twitter handle? My blog address is originalshipster.com and my Twitter handle is at originalshipster without the er. It's just r. Okay. <laughs> All right. Um, and uh, do you get feedback on, on Twitter about the stuff that you post? I do. Um, I have a lot of people, like I said, who do retweet my posts. I've actually had a couple of uh, people whose relatives I've written about who have contacted me and whatever source material I had may have been wrong. So they've reached out to me and said, actually, my grandfather's name was spelled this way and he did this, this, and this. And I'm like, oh, well, that's helpful. So it it puts a whole other spin on it too because I'm connecting with these families and these people who do have personal connections to these shipwrecks and mm-hmm. they're reaching out to me and sharing their stories which allows me to kind of enrich the work I've already done yeah. but I do get a fair amount of feedback uh, do you have a, a favorite story or a, or a favorite ship or shipwreck oh don't make me that's choose. like asking your, fa- your a parent who their favorite child is. yeah <laughs> um, I there's a couple that really have stood out. Um, one was actually the first shipwreck I found that was close to St. John's. It was the SS Marsland, which was a cargo ship that was built in Scotland in 1926. And it used to go between Newfoundland and Portugal and Spain and would take uh, salt fish and exports over there and then bring back fishery salt. And it was on its way into St. John's Harbor in 1933, and a smaller schooner cut across its path and so the captain ordered the engines to go into reverse and accidentally ended up running the ship aground right in front of Fort Amherst and they tried to tow it off and they ended up making the damage worse and so they had to call in an ocean tug and they tried to get it off and they managed to float it but then because they were still trying to do repairs and the waves because it was now buoyant were slamming it up against the rocks and then a storm came up so they had to abandon it and because of the storm it was declared a total loss and when the ocean tug actually came out to recover their gear they found all these dories clustered around the wreck because news had gotten out that the wreck had been declared a total loss so everybody was trying to strip it for everything that it was worth and so the tug recovered their gear and the wreck 
just sat there. And so the St. John's Port Authority at one point was thinking of calling over the HMS Norfolk, which was in the area doing training, and asking them to blast it off of the rocks in front of Fort Amherst with their guns. Um, but thankfully, they didn't have to do that because in October of that year, a autumn storm came up and actually washed it off the rocks. So it now sits just off the coastline of Fort Amherst, which when I found that out, because I didn't know that there were any wrecks even, I knew there were some wrecks down in um, uh, Blackhead and, and that area, but I didn't know there was one so close as just outside the Narrows in St. John's. So that one was a really interesting one for me to stumble across. Mm -hmm. And it's one of the few I came across where nobody died. So that was nice. Yeah. Yeah. Um, That seemed to be in a real uh, tradition here in Newfoundland and and everywhere where there were coastal communities, this, this process of salvage and, uh, and, you know, getting what you could. I've, I've met so many Newfoundlanders who say, oh yeah, well that door there, that came off the wreck of such and such, or that, that stove there, that was up from the wreck of something or else. It's not the first story I've come across where it's, it's almost instantaneous as soon as Rex declared a total loss. Everybody is just like, okay, got to go out and get what we can. And I I read a a novel years ago before I even came to Newfoundland that was talking about this sort of practice. And it was about, it was in the 50s or 60s. There was a ship that had run aground and same thing. And it was written from the point of view of the, the salvage crew that had come to take the wreck away. And they showed up and it was terrible weather and there were all these people climbing all over this wreck and the captain of the tug was thoroughly confused and one of the men in the dory was like well she's declared a total loss so we're just taking what we can may as well (laughs) nobody else is going to use it years ago we were doing some uh some work on the southern shore of newfoundland and there was uh, people had uh stories there about what they called the black horse wreck which was a, a ship that had run aground somewhere on the southern shore that was full of of beer black horse beer and uh, the RCMP or the the Newfoundland Rangers had had set up a um, you know a, a watch to make sure that no one had uh, it would come from the land and 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 uh, steal this beer. But um, some enterprising locals kind of came in by by boat in the middle of the night and, and emptied out this wreck of all the beer. And then and then apparently there were like illegal shebeens all up and down the shore that were for years afterwards had all this beer that had come from the Black Horse wreck. Um, and I don't know if that's how much truth is in that story or, and how much of it is local local folklore. Do you worry about that? Do you worry about like the stuff that you hear from people about if is it is it is it truthful or, or do legends attach to some of these wrecks? There are some that are definitely legends or just there's enough. I've had a couple of times where my thing is if there's an anecdote that goes with a wreck, I try to find it repeated in at least three sources. Mm-hmm. And if it's not in three sources that I can't back up then I'll just say in my blog post, well, this is one version of the story or this is the other version, and I'll put up both sides. Um, there was a wreck in Ontario, actually, the it was a paddle wheeler called Victoria in London, Ontario, and she was really shoddily built. She was built in the late 80, 1880s as a, a, a way to meet demand for increased tourism along the Thames River in London. And she was overloaded and the events leading up to the wreck there's two stories either the london city rowing club decided that it would be a grand old idea to try to race the boat in their two-person skull and the passengers all ran over to one side to take a look or there was another ship coming down the river and the passengers all ran over to take a look the outcome's the same the ship still rolled over and sank but 
I found enough evidence of those two stories that I didn't want to write just one. So I put forward both because I wasn't alive in 1880. I can't tell you which one's true and which one's false. So mm-hmm. put, I put, try to put both of them forward to my readers and then let them decide. Mm-hmm. So, but it comes up a fair bit. <laughs> what's the What's the strangest shipwreck you've come across, or, or a shipwreck in a strange location? Shipwreck in a strange location. The oddest one I came across, uh, there was one I found in Saskatchewan, which was a, um, a smaller vessel that was swamped in the, a river going through, that goes through Saskatoon. And the captain was trying to get upriver, and it was a particularly bad spring melt that year, and the river was just swollen, and he lost control of the ship, and it just was annihilated under a bridge basically but when i think about saskatchewan you you think of rolling fields of grain and flat and prairies and you don't think of shipwrecks so that was that was fairly surprising i had one friend who was sort of teasing me because i i had written about this and put it up on my blog and said oh if you're looking for obscure shipwrecks you know try and find one in arizona next you know just as a joke but because google's a wonderful thing and because <laughs> i felt like it's a challenge being clever <laughs> I, <laughs> I jumped on and found a gold rush era shipwreck it was only a little cargo boat probably couldn't have held a crew more than 10 but it exists in arizona so i tweeted him back that link and he just responded with a oh touche and that was the end of that <laughs> but there are like i said if there's a waterway there's a shipwreck there and it that the wreck in saskatchewan kind of solidified that for me where it's not just coastal provinces or the ontario with the great lakes or anything like that that have this history everywhere in canada has some sort of maritime history it's just a matter of going to find it because for a really long time, that was the only way to get from point A to point B. Yeah. <laughs> you had blogged earlier this year that you were at a, at a museum uh, uh, display of a famous Canadian shipwreck, yeah. a tragic Canadian shipwreck. I went to the uh, Canadian Museum of History in Ottawa, or in Gatineau, sorry, for the express purpose of seeing the exhibit that they had put on about the Empress of Ireland, which was a steamship that sank in 1914, actually right before uh, the outbreak of the First World War, which is the reason I think a lot of Canadians don't actually know about it, is that it is the largest maritime peacetime tragedy in Canadian history. But because it happened so closely to the outbreak of the First World War, it kind of was swept under the rug. And I learned about it when I was young from, I think my mother mentioned it in passing. She had seen it in an article and mentioned it to me. And it didn't come up again until a few years ago when the centenary anniversary was coming up. And there, it still surprises me how many Canadians don't actually know that they, they sort of branded her as Canada's Titanic. Mm-hmm. But it's it really is shocking the amount of people who don't know that story because it is... It was a very significant loss of life. So, so in a nutshell, in a nutshell, what what happened in, with that with that particular ship? Um, the Empress was on its way to England, and there was a collier that was coming down the Saint Lawrence River. She had just left Quebec City. And there was a Norwegian collier coming towards her, and the, a fog settled over the river, and neither ship was willing to give way to the other one or each ship had sort of assumed that the other ship was going to give way 
and the collier ended up ramming into the side of the empress. And because the collier was built with a thicker hull, it sustained some damage, but it didn't sink. It sort of limped its way back to port. The empress, on the other hand, was struck broadside, and it opened her up like a can opener. And she sank in 15 minutes with a huge loss of life. It was late at night. Passengers had all, a lot of them had their portals open because it was in May, it was warm, and a lot of them were trapped in their cabins and never got the chance to get out. And so there were entire families that had been going, say, to visit family overseas or what have you, who were just gone in a matter of minutes. Mm -hmm. And one of the most haunting and sort of morbid, but one of those like where we were saying where shipwrecks can be very emotional. Um, I remember hearing an anecdote of one of the divers who went down to the wreck after it had happened and said that he was standing on the, because she rested on her side at the bottom of the river, and he was standing on the deck, or on the side of the boat rather, and looking over and he could see the heads of some of the people who had been trapped in the ship just they looked like they were sleeping. And because the current where that wreck is is so strong, they were just sort of swaying. And he said it was incredibly eerie because it just looked like these people were just asleep and just sort of waving back and forth in the current. And it was, it's one of those images that's really kind of stuck with me from my research, to be honest. So what are you working on now? What is next? What's the next ship or shipwreck that you're working on? I haven't decided yet. <laughs> I have a post to do today, and after I leave here, I'm going to go decide what I'm going to write about. If, if someone was interested in starting a, a blog on, on any particular topic, if they're mm -hmm. interested in some aspect of history, what would your advice be to, to someone who is starting out like you are starting out? Um, honestly, just do it. Uh, I put off starting for a really long time because I wanted to be super prepared and I wanted to have all of this research built up and everything and I became the most productive when I finally actually put up an update on Facebook that just said, you know, this week I'm going to start my blog and now that I've made this public, I have to do it. Mm -hmm. And just sort of have a topic, have a focus, um, do your research, do some Googling, look around, see if anybody else is doing a blog that's similar to yours. And if they are, figure out what they're not doing that you can do that will make you unique. Um, you don't want to be repeating someone else's work. So make sure that you have a focus that's not being really replicated anywhere else. And just publicize on your Facebook page. You know, that's... I. My Twitter used to be my personal Twitter, and when I started my blog, I branded it, rebranded it completely for Original Shipster because... I already had that base, and just Twitter is a fantastic way to get information out. Um, use tags, use hashtags. That's how people will find your stuff, and just let it grow from there. Mm. What uh, what platform are you using for blogging? I use WordPress. And wh why do you use WordPress? Um, just a lot more uh, customizing options. It allowed me to actually get my own... Um, Ural, so I have originalshipster.com instead of, say, you know, uh, blogger dot or what have you. Um, and it just, there's a lot more templates. You can do a lot more playing around with layouts and stuff. So hmm. that's why I chose WordPress. And you, you talk about being unique. So what do you think it is about your blog that is that is unique? What sets, what sets your blog apart? Um, I deliberately try to 
combine the modern aspect of shipping with the historical. So not all of my posts are about shipwrecks from days gone by. I do cover modern ships that come in and out of the harbor here. Um, I try to, like I said before, I try to provide a diverse amount of uh, stories, like different types of stories. So I'm not only writing about Navy vessels. I'm not only writing about Coast Guard vessels. And I think that's what makes me unique is I try to create this diverse resource of, or cache rather, of just different types of stories for people who have different interests in naval and maritime history. Mm-hmm. Mm. So. You, you talked about Wikipedia. Are you, are you now uh, feeding back into Wikipedia? Are you starting to edit and uh, provide information back? I actually did that a couple of months ago. Um, I wrote an article on a ship called the CGS Aberdeen, which was a coastal vessel that was kind of the precursor to the Coast Guard. And um, the link and the page that had been done up for the wreck on Wikipedia was wrong. And it was actually when I had a family reach out to me and say, you know, you got my relative's name wrong. He was actually named this, and these are the ships he served on. So I went back and edited the CGS Aberdeen article, and so far no one's corrected me, so (laughs) (laughs) that's a good sign. (laughs) Well, thank you. Thank you for coming on the show today. Thanks for all your information. And uh, again, the the website is? OriginalShipster.com. Thank you very much. I'm Dale Jarvis, and you've been listening to Living Heritage on CHMR. Our production assistant is Tara Barrett. Living Heritage is a production of CHMR Radio 93.5 in collaboration with the Intangible Cultural Heritage Office of the Heritage Foundation of Newfoundland and Labrador. You can find us online at ichblog.ca or on iTunes. Thanks for listening. <laughs>